Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and the challenges they are facing. I'm Damesh Patel from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Maxwell from Oasis LMF. He's also an author of Rust Programming. Alex from Neural Eco Labs. Steve from Ethico. Banke from Empowering Tech. Ryan from Ofcom and Sylvester from Luda. Today, we're going to talk about and discuss the relevance, challenges and benefits to date within the modern tech world of Swelts and Rust. Firstly, we'd like to start with a few introductions. So Maxwell, thanks for joining. Would you like to start? Uh, hi, yeah. So uh, I'm Maxwell Flitton. Uh, I'm currently a software engineer at Oasis LMF, which is uh, calculates risk of financial loss on for the NASDAQ and stuff like that. Um, and I'm also the author of Rust and Web Programming, the Paxi book. I'm also another author of um, Fusing Python with Rust for Paxi. And I'm currently writing the Async Rust book for O'Reilly. Uh, and then also spare time, I build medical simulation software for uh, German government at the minute. Rust is written in Rust. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Great stuff. Great stuff. And what about yourself, Alex? Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. My name is Alex. I I have a background with uh, software engineering. I've been uh, working in Rust, not as much as you guys, I'm sure. And right now I'm a founder. Or I started a startup called Neural Echo Labs, which is bringing neurotechnology uh, into everyone's hands. So we're working on a product called the NeuroGamer, which is a VR headset that reads minds. And it's destined for gamers. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how we can integrate Rust um, in our backend. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this podcast. Oh, fantastic. And Steve, love the, you got a lovely beard going on there as well. What about yourself? And I love it. It's like having my own cat stuck with a cat stuck to my face. <laughs> it always goes with me. Um, I've been working in uh, software for 20 odd years now. I originally wanted to be an actuary, but I found out there are far fewer exams for the software, and that was literally enough to swing me over. I've been doing C for sort of 20 years or so, and I moved up into Rust uh, last year, I think. So compared to most of you guys, I think I'm pretty much a Rust novice, but I quite like it because it tended to formalize what I, what I wanted to do in C anyway. So it just kind of made things a lot firmer. And I'm looking forward to talking to some experts and learning a lot today. Oh, fantastic. Perfect. And uh, uh, yeah, Banke, how are you? You okay? Hi, yes. Um, my name is Banke. I'm a product designer with Empowering Tech, which is uh, a tech provider uh, or tech company in the educational space. Um, I have a background in systems analysis, project management, and a bit of dev. So... I'm definitely a novice in Rust. I think I first came across it when I decided to do some um, dev work on the Solana blockchain. So it looked very, very familiar in terms of C++, which I had done when I was doing my first degree in uni. Um, yeah, done some, um, I tend to do more of my coding in my spare time. I've never really worked as a developer or anything like that, but I do work a lot with developers. So I find it's quite useful to have an appreciation of what they do. So that's me. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, Ethan, what about yourself? Sorry, it's Ryan. I'm just using my son's account. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I thought just there. Yeah, 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 no, it's not. Sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's a hack. Well, it's a switch. Yeah, sorry about that, Ryan. I thought that I'm Nick there or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so hi, everyone. Uh, nice to meet you all. Uh, sounds like you guys have some fantastic backgrounds. Um, yeah, so my background is I'm a senior front end developer. Uh, I'm currently at Ofcom on a short-term contract, um, but uh, my history is actually in the BI industry using Click as a as my BI tool of choice uh, for about ten years. But kind of through that journey, I transitioned kind of from building back-end BI to dashboarding to then front-end development, and then um, I'm actually uh, like a co-founder of a company called Zenzele. Uh, and we built a like no code, low code application that integrates with click data, but it allows the business to kind of build their own dashboards without, uh, you know, developers need, you know, to get developers involved 
and it's just nice dashboarding. They can move things around on the screen and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Svelte and uh, wish I could use it wherever I work, but unfortunately that's not the case. <laughs> but yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Oh, great stuff. And uh, last but not finally, Sylvester. Hi, everyone. Um, nice to meet you. Um, I am front-end developer. I've been focused more on, on front-end than in back-end. Uh, my experience with Rust is like a, almost one year. I've been developing on Solana blockchain, smart contracts. Um, I did the front-end. Yeah, look at me. I'm working with a spelling production like uh, almost four years. Um, uh, I currently working for Luda Projects, a company uh, from from the United States that we are developing in Svelte, like a big metaverse uh, on the Solana blockchain. And I was making for Solana Labs the official wallet adapter for Svelte and the official template for uh, decentralized applications was built on Solana. So, yeah, that's my background. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, so it looks like we've got a clear wealth of knowledge and experience within this group here ranging from like developers to senior engineers and founders of organizations i mean oh maxwell you've obviously um written a few rust web programming guys and you've been to a few conferences in particular to swelts and rust i mean how have you found it and what, what are like the major challenges that you that you've encountered major challenges for using rust or getting rust uh, implemented or both really yeah using it and getting it implemented i know there's a few companies that are um, really, really excited about using it, but are some more, a bit more reluctant um, and a bit bit hesitant to like adapt to it. Yeah, so um, I think there's a, there's a bit of a learning curve and uh, this kind of gives a false um, economy kind of thing uh, where people say, oh, look at the learning curve. It's going to take longer to write things in Rust, but they don't take into account that when you actually have the borrow checker and you have traits which kind of work as inheritance slash interfaces are kind of like a weird cross between and you could have like multiple tra traits checking as bounds and all this sort of stuff you get like this really safe um code that just doesn't really crash you don't really have bugs and the false economy comes in where you can um that for instance i, I was doing multi-threading with um python uh and on on GitHub Actions, it didn't really work, and it said there was a serialization issue and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I was scratching my head, thinking like, does does GitHub Actions like not support multi-threading or multi-processing? There must be something strange going on. And I tried to build a whole feature where you did it without threading, and then it just turned out there was a problem with the actual Docker build. Uh, and because of the type safety is just not there in Python. I wasted like three days, whereas everyone who knows is coded in Rust, you just wouldn't get that type miscohesion. You'd actually get the error and it'd say Docker build error, you know? So, um, so I think a, a lot of it is like fear. They, they have this fear from like C++ or something, and they think that you're going to get all the bugs and all the, all the headaches along with the challenge of writing more complex code. When in reality, yeah, the code you're writing is a bit more complex, but you don't get all the bugs and the, the headaches. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that you have to try and keep telling people. Um, oh, perfect. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, like Ryan and uh, Sylvester? Because I know you guys are, are hands-on engineers and Banky potentially as well. You work with a lot of hands-on engineers. What what do you think from that? Uh, talking about Svelte or for, about Rust? Both, both, either. I think I think that uh, Svelte, regarding the learning curve, Svelte and Rust, are totally opposite. Uh, I think that's uh, the problem with Rust stats, but I agree with uh, with Maxwell what he says. Like uh, at the end of the day, you're saving a lot of time with Rust, uh, with the bubble checker, and what Carbon is doing for you in the development process. That uh, with the spell is the opposite. But I had defender in a, in a team where I was working, a new developer came to to the team. It was totally productive with the spell uh, in one week. It's like uh, spell is pretty fast to learn, and uh, it's pretty enjoyable. Um, and I think that regarding that, uh, yeah, this is a big advantage from the spell compared with Rust in this case, maybe compared with another uh, JavaScript frameworks. Oh, perfect, perfect. What about yourself, Ryan and Banke? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, 
yeah, I kind of agree with everything. I mean, from Svelte perspective, it is, it's so, it's such a great framework to like, you know, get up and running the learning curve, especially if you, you come from a, say, JavaScript background and you kind of picking up a kind of one of these framework libraries, Svelte is just so easy to kind of just that, that learning curve is really, really easy. So, and I think yeah uh, i can't comment much on rust i've, I've looked at it and like uh, maxwell said it looks overly complicated but i'm sure if i <laughs> spent more time with it uh, i would probably get i could see the value in it um so yeah well um in my case for rust i found it compared to what i had to go through learning or writing c when i was in my first degree it was a joy to use in terms of it being a lot more intuitive I got less declarations in terms of, um, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this, is it memory management or something like that? And you had to do a lot more declarations in uh, in C++. So I found Rust um, quite, it, you can almost call it an engineer's dream if you're looking at low-level um, languages. In terms of Svelte, I haven't used it. I looked at it and it's it promises... Um, faster um, time to development, um, lighter production code, and apparently it's going to be a lot faster when you're running your web, you, you know, your web application. So if that's the case and it's a lot simpler, the framework is simpler, then yeah, that's great as far as I'm concerned. Oh, perfect, perfect. And then from like um, a hands-off kind of view, Alex and Steve, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, thank you, Steve. Yeah, uh, well... For me, uh, the startup I used to work at before, they were doing um, a lot of AI and uh, I was a software engineer there. So I had to basically transfer all the Python prototyping into Rust. And this was happening maybe two or three years ago when Rust wasn't so so friendly towards uh, machine learning libraries like TensorFlow or even Torch. Um, so I, I got the first thing I, I actually hit my head on was to actually have to, um, yeah, port some of those libraries, especially like scientific type of libraries, like from SciPy signal processing. Um, and that included like going into Fortran and going into um, go to nested loops and transferring them to Rust. Um, I think I think such, this type of kind of, of, of task is the best way to be onboarded on Rust because you know what result you have to achieve and you have a source template and then you just basically translate it into Rust. So that's, um, there's no way of getting it wrong because uh, you know what, what result you have to achieve. You always have a parallel to make. Um, so yeah, I mean, one of the biggest headaches was to, to wrap my, hand, my head around reference lifetimes. Once I kind of understood those and then being able to I don't completely understand them. Maybe today it's not like intuitive yet, uh, but yeah, that was that was my my story. One of the things I found, that, as I'm just saying, the initial uh, learning curve is quite harsh with Rust. So your productivity for the project tends to slow down at the beginning. But you know, once you've gone through that learning curve, you're through it. So in the future projects and so on, you're going to move as fast as you would in, in other languages but with far more secure, trustable code. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm a bit privileged because I came from like a long C++ background. I've gone through a few different architectural sort of paradigms. So it maybe it's a bit more familiar to me than it might be to, to some other people coming there from maybe a, a JavaScript background, that sort of background. But one, yeah, once you get your head around it, that's it. It all makes sense and you can't imagine programming any other way. So then you really get the benefits, but you, you do need the time in the project to allow your engineers to upskill to get to the point where they can be useful. And I would imagine that would put a lot of project managers off, especially if they think, well, why don't you just code in C++ and just not make mistakes? Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, what did I think of that? No, but sometimes it's difficult to explain. Yeah, I mean, all these tools exist in other languages, but people just don't use them properly or don't use them properly consistently, especially when you've got pressure on you and you start forgetting to check sort of return values and things. And that's what Rust does. It simply doesn't allow that pressure to influence your program flow. So it keeps you honest. I think it's tremendous, but yeah, it could be a hard sell, the the, the bean counters. <laughs> wow, perfect, perfect. And how does everyone see like the future of it um, evolving like within like the tech the tech world and 
um, how well do you think they could work together? That's just a general question to anybody who wants to answer it or get involved. Yeah, Maxwell. Yeah, so I I think there's a I'm a big there's concepts of evolutionary pressure, and uh, I'm very relaxed when people when companies say they don't want to use Rust and so on because I think in the long run, uh, companies that do will just outcompete. Um, and actually, my my uh, demo at Rust Nation at the pre-conference was a talk on how me and my friend managed to manage a 10 server cluster that was built in Rust on AWS and Kubernetes, just two of us on a weekend. Because once we pushed the server, once we pushed the, the server to production, the new code, it never really errored, you know, because you have to handle every single outcome. You have to, you, if unless you forcefully unwrap something, you have to handle every single result and stuff like this. So we weren't really fighting bugs or anything like this. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of companies out there, the companies that do have it, they will just outcompete after a while. Uh, another thing as well, and this is in the second edition of my book, is we managed to get um, Distrilis working with all the drivers, all the database drivers and stuff like this. And our Distrilis images for a Rust server uh, are like 50 megabytes an image, which is just crazy. Right? And our server costs are like virtually nothing now. You know, they've, they've, they're an absolute fraction of what they were. So um, there's enough companies coming up, and the ones who who do take on Rust will just keep growing. I think. Oh, perfect. Thank you for that, Max. Was anybody else got any thoughts or? Right. Yeah, I wanted to mention about the very concerned about the future of this field uh, because I think that this field has a big challenge regarding the popularity, but not among the developers because I think that the developers love how this field works, but it seems like a big, a big challenge to. For, for the companies, like uh, uh, mostly of the companies are uh, working with React. So most of the companies are hiring React developers. That means that the developers are, are thinking like, okay, well, I'm going to learn React because I want to get a job. And and as they say, I, I read a lot of comments on, on Google and some videos about the spell, like uh, I enjoy working with the spell, but React pay my bills. And, and so at some point that never-ending loop where the companies and developers are uh, running in the same in the same place like a, at some point that that should be broken and uh, and, and the popularity of well should be uh, big enough to uh, to get attention from companies and to hire more uh, more skill people that's that's I think that is a big challenge for us because uh, the roadmap that they have is very clear uh, they have rich service of this very powerful developer. And Svelkit is working perfectly. And for the last news that they are like going through the Svelte 4 and Svelte 5, it looks pretty promising what they have in the roadmap for the next uh, next year. So in terms of Rust, I, I don't know exactly even this, but with Svelte, it's pretty clear for me. And I took in a look at... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I've um, taken a look at the, um, the Rust data frame. So in terms of replacing, using um, Python's pandas for development in um, data pipelines. So if that is something, I think the, the only barrier would be that obviously Python is a lot more, I guess, popular, especially if you're looking at data processing or building um, the backend for the systems. But in terms of performance of what I've seen with Rust and in terms of security and things like that, then I would definitely, I, I think the, the crossover to learn Rust we wouldn't be that much more if you're already used to working with, the, um, with Pandas because it's just going to be the same thing you're dealing with tabular data. So I would definitely look at using the Rust data frame over Pandas if if I could work on with the data engineers, if I can convince them, <laughs> but yeah, that would be a good thing. Oh, perfect, perfect. Sorry, were you about to say something there as well, right? Yeah, I was just going to kind of carry on with what um, uh, Sylvester mentioned about, and I've actually, I wanted to mention, I spoke to a professor, a computer science professor, and he was telling me that they're teaching the students React and I was like, well, that's an interesting choice. Why is it you're not, you know, if you're teaching them JavaScript, why are you not teaching them Svelte? Because that, that learning, that next stage in their learning should be something that's closely related. And he's like, yeah, he fully agrees. But the problem is, is that 
all these large companies are hiring React. So they kind of have to get these students ready for React roles. And I think once the companies start realizing that, you know, they, the, the, there are other frameworks that could solve their problems a lot better, um, then I think that there will be this shift. And there is, I think the shift is coming. I, I don't know when, but I think it is coming that people are going to start using Svelte because, you know, it's always like, why do we need to overcomplicate things with all the things when it's not needed? You know what I mean? When, you know, like I, my background is, you know, building charts and stuff. And, and that's what Svelte was intended for. That's what was originally created. And so I, when I had to use it with React, it's just so... Like, it's just overly complicated. Where with Svelte, I, I could get a chart up and running and like, you know, just in five minutes, it's just so easy to use. And I think that, that there is a shift. I mean, I'm starting to speak to companies that are now converting their React code to Svelte. So there is that, there is that happening. And then, and I think it will start happening more and more. I, 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 I totally, I totally agree. I, I was really right in the uh, so an application for React has failed. I was saving like a 50% of the code and it was uh, very faster. And I tried to say to the client, like, uh, okay, maybe it's a little bit harder to hire uh, a Svelte developer currently that's uh, just saving so much time and just saving so much money from just developing on Svelte that you have to take it in consideration because at the end, the load, in the long term, you're saving a lot of money. Uh, and I, when I started to work, uh, as freelancer with Svelte, that was my argument to the clients. Say like, a, if you are used to get that result in one week, I do it for you on Svelte in two days, three days. And, uh, and was, I think it was a powerful argument to convince the client to use Svelte, and now currently they are pretty happy with it. Yeah. Um, I, I have one one comment or question, actually, uh, because I, I'm, I'm not very aware of the landscape of Svelte and uh, how how easy it is to get a job. But uh, I was looking just before, um, I was looking on the Wikipedia page and it says that it has been adopted by um, a lot of high profile web companies like Apple, Spotify, Yahoo, Bloomberg, Reuters, Facebook. I mean, it, it, it does sound like it's it's pretty out there already. And uh, where when you're trying to convince a customer that, hey, why don't you use Svelte? Because look at these big guys, they're using it as well. Is it, is it such a hard time to actually do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yes, there are large companies, but, you know, when they do mention, I'm just going to be a bit of a, uh, you know, when the companies, I know that there was a talk and they were saying like Apple was using it and, and Apple was using it in a very small section of a team. So I think when they mention all these huge organizations, it's not the whole organization using it. I know, I think Brave is using Svelte throughout, but a lot of them are using, you know, when I worked at HSBC, you know, there it was just every framework was being used by a different team. I mean, I was working on a Angular microservice and I was embedding my Svelte inside of an Angular microservice. So again, you know, that team decided to do one thing. We decided to do a different thing. So there are all these different things. So when they say that there is Svelte being used, yes, there is, but maybe not as a, as a whole organization. I think a whole organization using it is still very few. But I think when, when I mentioned there's a shift also because Richard Harris joined Vostel, I think now that there is this huge organization supporting him and he's working on it full time, um, I think now there is there is a, a lot more changes coming in, foster changes, um, you know, SvelteKit's uh, 1.0 was released in December. 2022 so i think now that's production ready so i think now people are starting to shift and i think it's it will happen soon but i i think that that's fair on how how you view the organic growth of a, of a new language or or because we trust it was the same and i think startups helped a lot with making rust a bit more uh um out there uh like in the in the startup i was working emotech um there was a there was one Rust evangelist who basically everyone who we onboarded was uh, taken uh, by by this guy Daniel, um, and and the thing is with, with the team with the startup that's growing then um, different individuals are growing and they end up in big companies they end up on big positions 
and then they are able to actually push for their favorites. And I think that's how Rust is going to get, uh, yeah, in, I don't know, five, 10 years is going to get very mainstream because of this. Yeah, the major issue we found with Rust in my previous company, when we were desperately trying to hire Rust engineers, but due to the, the company setup, they had to be within commuting range of London for twice a week. And we were getting maybe a handful of CVs. And we, already, we wanted a junior engineer. And I think one guy came in with less than a year's experience. I think he was 22, 23. And he wanted £100,000 a year. Oh, no, it was over £100,000 a year. And um, I had to interview him because I had to meet the guy. And I said, yeah. right, so how much rust do you actually know? And he'd done some tutorials. And he was a bright guy. But I'm like... Okay, I think you might have got, I might have got the lay of the market slightly inaccurate. So I almost asked him, how much do you think I'm on, by the way? If you start at £100,000 a year and I'm in my 40s, no, okay, never mind. But it turns out he wasn't compatible with the company anyway. But yeah, we had major issues hiring Rust engineers. The ones we could find, because it's such a marketable skill, were so expensive, we couldn't afford to hire them anyway. So that was our, as our one stumbling block. Hopefully, like you say, when Rust gets more established, higher up at companies, more people will be kind of forced to learn it and then the market will expand hopefully otherwise <laughs> never hiring anyone really i th i better get out my uh my tutorials i didn't realize rust was so valuable <laughs> okay it's just so few people seem to know it in comparison to like c sharp or you know mm -hmm. like that yeah or maybe just no one did it work for us it could be that as well That's, i hadn't considered that angle I literally came across it by mistake and said it was because I chose Solana because Solana seemed to be quite economical to develop on if I was going to be doing a lot of tests and things. That's when I came across Rust. I had never heard about it before, to be honest. So. I kind of fell into it by mistake as well. Then I, then I sort of had to use it and I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a clear demand for it within the market. And like you said there, it's quite challenging, especially when like lecturers and universities are not particularly teaching students or employers are not really embracing like migrating their platforms away from like React, Node, et cetera, to Swells and Rust. I mean, um, Maxwell, at the conference that you mentioned, the Rust National Conference, what, what's that kind of intel from there? Are more people leading towards it now? Are you seeing a lot more of uh, it, a lot more of it being pushed within like the academic kind of culture? What's that the intel from that like, you've acquired from there? Oh, yeah. So, um, they, yeah, it's very enthusiastic. There are companies, there's a lot of companies that have switched from Golang to Rust. So they initially built their stuff in Golang and then they realized it wasn't really that performant. A really famous one is uh, Discord. And they said, why do we switch from Golang to Rust? Uh, talking to SurrealDB, they switched from Golang to Rust uh, and then they got like very good investment round and they're doing some really cutting edge things that I mean, if you guys Google SurrealDB, there's some YouTube videos and other database companies are shocked at how they're managing to produce so many features. And they're saying, well, you know, they're building it in Rust and it's all safe and all this sort of stuff. So they've managed to be schema, full schema-less, GraphQL, data time series, authentication. And, you know, it, it puts the older databases to shame. And, it, and it's kind of like a... Uh, you know, representation of actually how powerful Rust is in this sense. So um, I was recently talking to Imperial College London, and it's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. So they have a lot of um, grad um, programs um, that kind of teach you how to do um, certain languages, but they don't actually have a Rust one. So talking to Imperial College, the engineering department, and maybe we'll get a Rust kind of grad course involved in that so they can start to do their, their research in uh, in rust as well so it's it's coming along i think we're actually at a bit of an inflection point the data's starting to come in on some of these companies that have been experimenting for a couple of years and it's all kind of blazingly positive uh may, maybe i'm biased or i mean obviously i'm gonna have some bias so maybe there's a selection bias in the data i get like because people contact me because they're very keen they don't say they don't hate rust and their company failed influencing rust they say let's contact the author of web programming in Rust, you know, it'd be a very strange situation. So um, so you got to take what I say with a pinch of salt in that sense. But yeah, I think there's mass adoption coming quite quite quickly. In London, I think there's a lot of, in, you know, uh, kind of like appetite for it. Oh, perfect, perfect. I mean, Steve, I know you mentioned before the challenges we're trying to hire, um, obviously, these types of engineers within London. I mean, what, what was the uh, resolution for around that then? And obviously, it was a hybrid model and required 
developers that were just like demanding like an abundance of salary in comparison to the market like what what was the resolution how what happened from there uh we um we kind of gave up we we couldn't meet the requirements so in the end we uh we allowed someone to be a lot less hybrid than we were initially asking i think he was based up in manchester i think and he was going to come down like once a month but it kind of um the ftx thing hit the company um, and it, it didn't really go much further anyway due to things outside of uh, our control. It wasn't rustful, but in the end, yeah, we, we simply couldn't find someone. The money we were prepared to pay, which is, like, I think, around forty, fifty thousand 50000 we were looking at because we were just a junior guy in London through the rust. It just didn't exist. But that, nobody nobody was up for it. Yeah, of course. Because, I mean, in regards to, obviously, yourself, like Sylvester, and uh, Ryan, I mean, do you think you'd be aligned to go towards moving towards that tech if a role like that appeared? Or, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? I'll feel it about uh, finding find developers, you mean? Yeah. Um, I this is because uh, I'm, I heard all of you, uh, it seems to be like um, it's uh, easier to get a job in London as a browser developer. I'm basically in the Netherlands, and here it's especially it's very tricky to get a job as a browser developer. So you don't you don't find almost uh, any any uh, uh, any job description with Rust is appearing, and uh, but if you go to to the United States, it's like I don't know a lot of it, and uh, yeah, and I think that's is happening the same with this field. Uh, I think the United States has a lot more um, factors for the field developers, than, for example, in the Netherlands. Uh, so yeah, it's quite tricky. I was talking with some developers from. Rust developers from here from the from Amsterdam when I'm based and they were telling me like uh, ah, I'm using Rust to write a smart contract on blockchain to have fun and maybe someday I would find a job awesome. but uh, hey, with the spell developers the same like uh, I, I hope that this mass uh, attraction uh, and adoption is going to happen uh, sooner than later so this it's, it's difficult I mean I Every time that a that a new position as a freelancer developer in in the Netherlands is for a spell project, uh, I get a call from the requirements like uh, I don't find anybody else. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the downside of Svelte as a developer is, and what I've noticed is the salaries are much lower than React. So. I mean, in a perfect world, I'd love to my next role to be a Svelte role, but. The, the there's no the the salaries there's no comparison they you know they're offering really low salaries with Svelte developers and React the it's much more higher so you kind of can understand why everyone wants to learn React everyone's going in that direction again it goes back onto why are people kind of not shifting and then again it's also you know when I see Svelte roles I see them on the Svelte community that that's like the job board I see there's a few people offering roles. And when I speak to recruiters and I say, you know, like they say, what's your ideal tech stack? And I'm like, oh, I'd love to be using Svelte. And they're like, well, what's that? You know, so <laughs> they don't know. And so, and, and, and they, you know, the roles are just not coming in and when they do low salaries. So. But I, I think that the salary has more to do with the company profile than with that, that with, that with the framework. It's like, uh, you were mentioned before that, um, Apple is not using in general, uh, Svelte, that Apple Music is developing Svelte. And uh, so, uh, and I think Apple Music is like a serious application. It's, yeah. one of the, it's one of the most serious products that Apple has at this moment. And it's built completely in Svelte. Um, so I cannot imagine that Apple is uh, highly... Yeah, it's a developer at this moment. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that has to do with the, with the company. I was working for, for a very big company here in the Netherlands that they were, probably they, they have the biggest uh, uh, web store in Australia developed in the whole world. And, uh, and they were and they were paying big salaries. Every yeah. time that they, they hire uh, a freelancer, they are paying pretty well. So yeah. so I think it has has more to do with uh, with. Uh, right. Which, I mean, they're, they're not coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, in my in my way, neither. So, yeah. <laughs> so, 
So, but but just the point that uh, if you look to the to the React positions, so you see the profile of the companies that they are hiring React developers. Our companies are pretty pretty large. So, exactly. yeah, exactly. If those companies say, okay, we are going to switch to to Svelte, I, I I don't see that they are going to decrease the salaries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, I think that's you're right. I agree with that. From and from then, um, Alex, obviously, from your point of view. You're the founder, obviously, Neuralee, because you grow and expand the organization there. I mean, what, what, how do you think you'll structure it in regards to your um, engineers and, and your team? How, how does that look for you? Yeah, I mean, we're in a really good position from this point of view because uh, as as um, I think Sylvester and Ryan were talking about Apple, I was thinking it's, uh, I mean, big companies usually have large code bases written in something particular like C++ and all that. And um, obviously, unless it's a completely new project which is, which is kind of um, isolated, it's hard to actually implement a new language, right? Like Rust or even a fronted uh, type of language. So I can see why new companies are, are less, uh, well, are more rigid towards or towards changing this. but. Uh, from my experience working in a startup, in a startup is a completely new, uh, especially in early days, it's a completely different thing. So we are in the lucky position of actually being able to benchmark all the different uh, outputs of different programming languages and actually choosing what's best for us. I, I'm not that, I'm not, well, I'm saying this now, but um, let's let's hope I don't jinx it, but I'm not that worried in actually finding talent. Uh, because I've seen like um, dedicated, passionate developers don't find it that hard to actually switch between um, different languages, especially as similar as C++ with Rust, right? I think it's more about the desire to do it and to have an interesting framework in which, in which to, um, to yeah, develop that new skill. Because, yeah, I mean, if you take a person and you, you make it... Uh, yeah, just read the Rust book and uh, find your way or something like that. Then it's going to be a bit harder. But if 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 we put it an interesting project in which to in which to implement whatever they learned, I think in a year, a year and a half, a completely newbie in in Rust can can come up with some really uh, usable code for production. Um, I I have a soft spot for Rust. I'm not entirely sure at this moment if it's going to be feasible for us. But I'll definitely give it a try. Yeah. Well, perfect, perfect. And how does that align with um, yourself, Steve, at uh, Ethico and stuff? Um, well, yeah, we tend to use whatever technology we need to use to get the job done. But uh, a lot of the time, uh, Rust is uh, high on the menu. Basically, if I can use Rust, I will use Rust because I just like the language so much. And I've, I've got over like the, the teething stage now. So I'm starting to actually be able to use it not as quickly as say I could when I was a couple of years ago bang out a C plus plus application. I could do that in my sleep after twenty years. I'm a lot slower than that, but I'm I'm getting better than I was, and I don't want to end up having wasted all this time and effort getting into Rust only to never use it again. <laughs> it just frustrates me so much. But yeah, I'm finding it. I just find once the code's written, it's simply so secure. It's it's not far off bomb proof as long as you've got your test set up and everything done right. And it just gives me such more such confidence in the code. I find you can move much faster because you you're not double checking things all the time. It's already done and dusted. That's one of the main things I love about it. I, I sleep better at night. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, talk to us more about the the book and stuff, Max. Or what's like the positive feedback and stuff that you received from these kind of um, conferences and stuff that you've been to, and um, just yeah, generally like Rust and Swift. Yeah. So. Um... We, I, I wrote the first book and you didn't have to have any Rust background. It was trying to get developer, web developers who have web experience. They read the first couple of chapters, then they can jump into like Attic's web and all this sort of stuff. And then, um, I tried to, you know, get Rust into a couple of companies, you know, and was talking to them and stuff. And, uh, they were mainly interested. They had Python backgrounds because mainly the you know, big data or machine learning that they wanted to, uh, you know, these are, these are Python backgrounds generally, and they wanted to adopt Rust. So that inspired me to, um, write the second book, which was fusing Python with Rust. So build like pip modules, you can install it with pip, you know, Python packages, and then you can import it into your Python code and run it just like Python code, but you get the speed and 
concurrency and safety all of Rust. Um, but where Rust is really shining, and this is where I've got the third book deal with O'Reilly, is on async Rust. Because of the safety and the type safety, you can get very good async runtimes. You could even build your own async runtime from scratch. It'd be completely safe because of the type checking and the borrow checking. And uh, it's production ready as well, which is kind of mad, right? I mean, I'd, I'd still recommend using an off-the-shelf async uh, unless you're doing something very particular where you want to have very particular things pulled off different queues. But it just shows like the, the power of this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's taking time because I, I think a lot of people are worried about talent, finding talent, uh, and that horror story that S Steve said, you know, I, I guess there's loads of people who maybe have those horror stories or have heard them and I think, gosh, I don't, I don't want someone who's done a tutorial demanding a six figure salary. That's <laughs> like, you know, that sounds painful. Uh, so, but, but I also think as also as well, I agree with uh, Alex, like dedicated developers you know who are passionate they can transition if the code base is well structured it's isolated uh that sort of thing and uh it seems like a, i'm just completely raging about surreal db but again i'll their code base is open source so that's why i'm referencing it there's other companies that are using rust but their code base isn't open source but i i spoke to the founder there and he said that he wanted to onboard people very easily and if you look at the code it's very well structured so somebody who's quite new to rust that sort of thing could get on board so i i guess that's also the thing we all we all love well-structured code it's very rare in the wild though and uh that could also be a hindrance you know if people uh want to kind of adopt that sort of thing if it's a badly structured code base but but i guess the rust developers uh the ones that i've met are so passionate that I actually think this is really good quality Rust code being produced. So, uh, and I guess it's a selection bias again. If you if you like the correctness, you like being corrected before it crashes. You like having to be prompted to handle. You're kind of leaning towards that. I want to write clean code anyway. You know, so so maybe you'll find again with that evolution, you know, evolution pressure that these sorts of you know well prompt you know like kind of. If, these companies that have really good philosophies and so on attract or are more amenable to Rust anyway. And and I think that's something that Solana said. Um, they they chose Rust because they don't want copy pasta. They don't want like rubbish, you know, um, was it smart contracts being produced and stuff like this, which is why they they picked it. So it it selects a certain type of like good quality developer in that sense, you know. Ooh. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Just a bit cautious at the time. We've got less than 15 minutes remaining. I know we've gone over a few key topics there. I think um, if we go around the room now, we just um, somebody asks like one question or two questions each, and then we'll just try and get involved as much as we can before we wrap it up. Um, do you want to start kick off, Ryan? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, are you saying questions to the other the other guys just to ask them a question? Yeah, you just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, just general questions for the floor. Yeah, I mean, I I've never considered using. I mean, I've looked at it, but I haven't considered using it. Uh, so my question is, do you think it's worth, as a front end developer, to actually invest some time in learning Rust? Because uh, again, I think what Steve kind of said, the problem is a lot of the time when you invest some time in something, the the issue may happen that you learn it and then you never get to actually use it. So that's kind of my, always my concern when you learn something, it's like you learn it, but then you don't actually practically get to use it. Then it kind of then is not worth learning because the learning actually starts happening when you're actually doing the job and actually really getting exposure to it, not just reading a book or doing it in like a quick tutorial. Cause I find tutorials, you know, they help you just to understand what, what's going on. And that's the starting point. So I think it, 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 my question is, is it just worth me actually investing my time in Rust or should I wait until it gets more widely adopted? Um, I think if you intend using it at some point, then the sooner you get stuck in, the better. Okay. We my motto, is it? Even if you end up just, just picking a random open source project and fixing some of the entry-level bugs and just getting your head into the mindset, because the main thing is the mindset of Rust. Everything else is ones and zeros. It's just code. Code all works the same way under the surface. But that'll let you get into the mindset of Rust. And the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can start progressing. And the better you'll be when it comes to a real-life project. You know, the slower you'll need to... The slower, 
the less time you spend upskilling into the actual project because you already know all the basics. Yeah. I I would just, I would also say as well that again I'm biased that you should actually learn a bit of Rust even if you don't plan on using it at all uh, professionally. And uh, the reason for that is that if you look at a lot of these dynamically typed languages, they have kind of like a graph network of how they map the memory. Whereas if you look at Rust, it has a tree-like, you know, way of doing the memory. So um, of mapping it. So you'll get kind of forced to. So a really classic one is string. Um, you'll get forced to understand actually what's going on under the hood because you can't just pass a raw, you know, str like um, the raw data straight into a, a function because it says, well, we don't know what the size is at compile time. You have to do a pointer. And um, that actually happens with other programming languages under the hood. So you'll find Python programmers as Stack Overflow saying, why does the join much quicker than looping through and just adding to the string? Um, and what's happening under the hood is that it's reallocating all the memory all the time. Whereas like, so with Rust, you'll kind of get forced to appreciate that. You, you'll have to put a dot clone or you'll have to do a reference and you can't just pass a string through. So, and, and the wording of the collections for Rust as well are also really clear. So you can have like a hash map. So then people just think in Python or something dictionary, whereas actually when you see a hash map, you're like, oh yeah, we're doing a hash computation and then we're looking for the memory address or you have a hash set or so you can kind of work out really what's going on under the hood just by the naming and stuff like this as well. So I, I'd recommend just uh, even if you have say, I have no interest in learning Rust uh, and using it professionally, just a month of it, you'll start to see the way you code in your dynamic languages in a slightly different way. And because of the compiler, it will kind of beat you around the head until you do it right. So it's not like doing another low level language and having some weird like seg fault and saying like oh what's going on there so it's a really good learning tool for understanding other languages as well yeah that, that's that that's yeah i'm sold uh, that definitely if it can help me be better at my job then definitely sounds worth um investing my time in it it doesn't so much hold you by the hand it holds you by the throat when you're using <laughs> <Rust>. <laughs> you will do it right or i would not run your program <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for the Rust developers. Um, as a front-end developer, I, I think that the big mass adoption for Rust will happen coming from the front-end. Uh, it's my idea. It's like, uh, I see that this moment the front-end and Rust, they are not talking the same length or they are not working together. Um, everybody's talking about the WebAssembly, but uh, it never changed the moment for WebAssembly. Um, so where do you think that is going to happen that the front-end developers are going to adapt uh, Rust? Because at this moment, when you're coming from, most of you are coming from C++, you are landing on Rust, it's almost the same. But when you're coming from TypeScript, especially, and you go to Rust, it's like, a, oh, this is, this is the hell. But even it's worse when you're coming back, because when you're coming back and you see how easy it is to type, the types on, on Rust, you don't want to come back to TypeScript. So at some point, there has to be a confluence between the Rust and the front-end frameworks. Um, but what do you think that is going to happen? What do you think that should happen to, uh, for, for, yeah, for that uh, moment where the front-end developers are going to adapt uh, Rust? My my ideal world would be like a WYSIWYG editor in a Rust IDE, like you get with Dev Studio producing the XAML. But if, what I'm finding it's just kind of a chicken and egg situation. Front-end developers aren't diving into Rust because it's, there's no compatibility, but people aren't working on the compatibility because there's no demand from front-end developers. So we end up with a chicken and egg. And I'm suspecting at some point a large influential Rust person with some financial backing will say, right, we're working on the front-end section and we'll then break the barrier. And it'll, it'll, then, it'll then pour. But I have no idea when or where that might happen. Yeah, I, I was uh, at a brunch with the with the Rust Foundation, and a lot of the talk was about like how do we do adoption, and um, they're at the stage of getting enough funding so they can actually start to fund these people that are doing these things because uh, a lot of it right now is done by extremely enthusiastic communities, but you know there's only so many hours you can do, and you have to feed your family and stuff like this, so. Uh, yeah, they're now at that stage of they're setting up grants to actually start to fund 
uh, these sorts of projects because there's there's been some projects that died and it was like, oh gosh, so there was like ND array which was kind of like NumPy but for for Rust and then in the, you look at the repo now and it's like six months or something since the last update and you, and you think yeah there's only so many t-, you know you could just feel those developers they other things happen so um, so ho- hopefully the the Rust Foundation gets the funding out they, they've got some backing from the Fang companies. So I think they're going to start pouring that into uh, in into some of these projects. Yeah, definitely. I think it's I think it's in. Sorry, I, yeah, I think it's inevitable that it's going to eventually be part of the modern tech world, and um, it's just a matter of time as and when. I mean, what about yourself, Alex? I know you've mentioned um, incorporating it with like machine learning and AI. What what are your thoughts? Or have you got any questions for the panel? Um. Yeah. I mean, on on the side of machine learning and AI, um, I'm happy Maxwell mentioned NDRA because. Um, that was one of my go-to pages. Actually, there was a I, I can't remember where it was, but <clears throat> but it was a page where it was doing the parallels between NumPy array and and the array in in Rust, and I spent a lot of hours there. Um, yeah, I mean the question I had is is most it is more towards the um, adoption and looking at the future of both Rust and Svelte, and um, I had this this idea that. If I were in high school right now, or in or in uh, just starting my computer science degree, and you were my mentors, how how would you promote Rust and Svelte for me, knowing my my values right now, knowing that I want to work at Meta or I want a high paying job at a, I don't know high frequency trading startup or company, like or, or even that Unreal Engine or Unity uses C plus C sharp, how would you make me? Uh, choose Rust over them or choose Belt over its alternatives. I would say if you can program in Rust, you can program in anything. And you will never be unemployed because it will force you to program with good idioms, good technologies, good structure, and produce clean code. And even if your tech stack changes to C or C, you will still carry those principles with you. So you'll always be. A high quality developer because you won't know any other way of coding. I can't comment on Svelte because I haven't really used it, so I'll leave that up to, to actual experts. But that would be how I'd promote Rust. Oh, perfect, perfect. Um, have you got any further questions for the panel, Steve? I know you've had some really good input throughout this session. No, I, um, no, I think we're pretty much out of time. I mean, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, perfect. And then, yeah, finally, Ma- Maxwell, have you got anything to add or any questions for the panel before we got a few minutes left? Uh, no, no. I'm just. Uh, it's a, been a great panel. Yes. Oh, perfect. Great to be. Yeah. No, I really appreciate everyone's input, and obviously, it's um, can be quite time-consuming, especially in everyone's busy day. But it's, it's felt as if it's flown by, and uh, yeah, hopefully, we've all learned something and uh, learned a lot more about the modern technology that hopefully we'll all one day be using. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say a big thank you to all our guests for sharing their thoughts on today's conversation. Once again. Our guests on today's podcast have been Maxwell from Oasis LMF, Alex from Neural Eco Labs, Steve from Effico, Banky from Empowering Tech, Ryan from Ofcom, and Sylvester from Luda. If you're hiring for a new technical role or you're looking for a new opportunity, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured in a future podcast, drop me a message as well. I'm Damesh and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at damesh.patel at evolutionjobs.co.uk. You can also visit our website which is evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thanks for listening. We hope you can join us next time.